Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, episode seven of Oki 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 uh, with me, Delan Williams from Darts Cymru. Uh, given this is the first episode of uh, 2022, I just wanted to, to welcome you all again and wish you all a, a happy new year. And thank you for, for all of your continued support. Um, but back to the present, um, I'm joined today by a darts referee and LGBT plus um, the PDC's ambassador, uh, Hugh Ware. How are you, Hugh? Are you okay? Hi, Dylan. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Yes, happy new year to you. Happy new year to all the, all the viewers as well. Brilliant. No, thanks for giving up your time uh, here. It, me it means a lot. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, if, um, if, if we get started, then I start with most of my guests, you know, about where does the, where has the love of the darts, uh, where did it all start? And I think before we get on to the officiating stuff, I, I'd just like to know what was your first sort of experience and if you had a, you know, a lasting sort of first memory of, of, of darts? Um, yeah, so uh, basically I got into darts when I was like 11. Um, and it was just like purely by chance. I, I actually would like remember this, like so I was 11 years old and my mum, like she was cooking lunch. So she asked me to go and set the table in the front room. So I went to do that. And like literally the dart was just on the television as I walked into the front room. God knows how it was on thinking about it. I, I certainly didn't switch it on, but it was just on. It might've been just a sign from God above saying this is your future um, <laughs> um, to a lost and, and lonely 11 year old. Um, so, uh, so I literally just sat down and started watching it um, ignored the table. I, I ignored setting the table. Mum came in with lunch and was like, where's the table? Sorry, I'm watching the darts. Um, so literally, like, so that was the afternoon session. I remember what tournament it was. It was the afternoon session of the World Match Play. Um, so this was, so it must have been like during my summer holidays um, from school. So um, I sat down and watched it in the afternoon. And I, I've kind of been aware of it anyway. Like, I, I think I remember my mum sort of watching it from a couple of years before that, um, but I wasn't really interested. Um, but I recognized it anyway, so I sat down and watched it. Um, and then in the evening, uh, I wanted to watch it again. And that night, it was Phil Taylor versus Dennis Priestley, 2005 World Match Play second round. It was a classic game. And I think I've actually seen it repeated on Sky Sports over yeah. the last couple of years. Um, and when I look back on it now, I mean, that game was, like it, it was so lucky it was like one great big advert for me for everything that makes darts great so a complete newcomer to it at the time knowing nothing about the sport i mm. learned about it, it just from that one game the skill in accuracy under pressure missing under pressure you know missing when you don't expect this hitting when you you, you didn't expect and just sort of like how brilliant it was and how the crowd were all involved the way uh, phil taylor was leading then dennis priest was leading it went to two clear legs then phil taylor wins uh it, it went the lead changed hands about two or three times um in the last few and on i was hooked and then i watched the following night and john part beat phil taylor who had had such a, a good game um the day before is my internet okay can you hear me all, all right yeah yeah I, I can say you froze for a bit but, but you're okay now here i'm here i'm with us even the computer was like, oh, shut up. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, so that was the moment, really. From then on, I was hooked. Um, uh, yeah, so that was back in 2005 when I was 11. So, so having seen it on TV, what was that? What, what had that given you? Or had it created a path where you thought, OK, I want to get into darts, I want to play darts? Or 
was it just sort of sort of a, a viewing sport that you were going to take more interest in? Well, I mean, after that, I think I must have got a dartboard and some darts in like the October of that year. Um, and I started playing and I just found that equally as addicting as watching it. Um, I mean, I suppose that there probably was a, a period where I thought, oh, I'd like to do this professionally, but I was never like good enough to do that. Um, sort of the refereeing, um, I mean, I enjoyed refereeing. I had a few opportunities to do it because nobody else wanted to do it. Um, and I knew I could. So I ended up sort of getting a bit of a, a reputation for doing that. Um, probably coupled with the fact that I lost a lot of the time as well. So that <laughs> meant you had to mark the next game anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the, the, I mean, sort of, sort of openings came up that way. But I never thought when I was a kid, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a professional dart referee. Yeah. Like, you know, that just wasn't, I mean, the chances of that were very slim. Like, I'm just really, really lucky to here today to say that I'm in professional darts. I'm just very lucky. It was never something that was on my radar when I was a kid. Yeah. So so before we get on to the officiating and the refereeing, then where, where, did, where did your sort of playing career take you? Were you involved in youth darts or? What, you know, yeah, I, I played. For, sorry. Any, any success then in, in, involved? Um, I put, well, the, the, I suppose like sort of the peak for me was um, playing for Wales Youth um, in the WDF uh, Europe Cup Youth. Okay. And that was only a few months before I became a referee because uh, I went to do the Winmore World Masters only a few months after that. And that kind of factored a lot into my decision to be a referee because when that opportunity came up to do the World Masters, um, and sort of essentially sort of sacrificing my playing career to go and do that, I thought to myself, well, because I'm because being at the U of Cup, in the room that day, there was um, uh, Jeffrey Deswan, Josh Payne, um, uh, Max Hopf was there as a 13-year-old playing for Germany. Um, so he tells me, and, uh, you know, he, he was there that, that, that um, weekend as well. And um, there were lots of players uh, in, in the room um, who are now on the pro tour themselves, who have, got, who have gone on to do like really good things. So you could tell those who had it and those who made into the latter category, uh, really. So um, when it came to being a referee, I was like, well, playing for Wales youth, that's probably the best that I'm going to get to. Yeah. I'm probably going to go to the World Masters and, and referee it and, and then onto Lakeside after that and go to places as a referee that I'd never get to as a player. So it actually yeah. kind of, it did kind of affect my decision to become the ref in the end. Uh, but yeah, Wales youth, for sure, for sure. Brilliant. So you were in, in really good company. So you must have been a, you know, a half-decent player then. It sounds like you're, you're dragging yourself down too much there. I'd say anybody who's reached that sort of level must, must have been you know, a, a, a good player. Were you, were you playing for a club or a, or a pub or just practising at home sort of at, at that age? Um, I, I, it did get to the point where I was playing three or four times a, a week. Uh, I played in a Monday league, the Cardiff and Whitchurch league. Mm. Um, uh, I played in a Wednesday league, uh, which was run by a guy called Tony Petrie, who was, was fabulously run um, uh, singles league that played out of Riley's Cardiff when I played in. Oh, yeah. Um, and that had, a, that had a really good standard. Um, I played in, in the local Barry league. I grew up in Barry, so I played in the local Barry league uh, on a Friday. Um, and, and that was where I started. That, that was the first place that I started playing darts. Was that was the Barry Rugby Club. Okay. Um, and then, um, and then uh, Glamorgan Youth was um, uh, once a, one 
Sunday month. Um, and there could have been a tournament on on the Saturday and or Sunday uh, with Welsh ranking points. So I used to go to a few of those uh, where obviously a lot of top Welsh players were. So, yeah, no, I, I was around very good players a lot of the time. And when mm-hmm. we went to Aberdeen to play the Europe Cup youth, I mean, we got to the semi-finals, um, which was really good. And we lost to the eventual champions, which were the uh, the Netherlands. Okay. Um, and they had a really good team. Um, and I think I did my bit on the, uh, through, through the two days. I, I won a few games. Lost a few as well. Um, I, I remember playing Jimi Hendrix, um, who was, you know, who was fantastic uh, that weekend. And the way it was in the semi-finals, you each played each other, um, and you played one leg against each other. So I went up on stage to play to play my leg against Jimi Hendrix, and he went out in thirteen darts. <laughs> so that was it, done. <laughs> I yeah. was like goodbye. I was like, oh, okay, you've got it then. Um, so yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I did my bit, but Wales could have benefited from a stronger number four. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. So you've obviously played at a, a, at a decent level, uh, which would make me think that you've got a, got a decent sort of action. So if, if you had to compare the Hugh Ware action of that day to, the, to a pro player on, on the tour today, would, would there be somebody who you think, oh, my throw resembles that person? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Now, any betting dart players out there, don't look at you know videos of me throwing if there are any out there because gosh, you wouldn't get very far. Um, <laughs> no, I had a really weird, I, I, I had a really weird sort of grip on the dart because um, they they always say like hold you hold the dart like you hold a pencil, and I don't know whether I probably used to hold a pencil quite weirdly. I'm not sure. I used to have quite nice handwriting when I was in school, so I you know I thought it was okay. But like the way I used to grip. The dart was, you know, it hindered me rather than helped me. So yeah. I, there was a lot of finger to get out of the way, you know, as, as I was releasing the dart. Um, and there was no there was no consistency to my throw at all. Um, yeah. if, if I was throwing them right in a bit, you know, I, I could have a really good 5-10 minutes, but then have a really bad 15 minutes. And then I'd have a good 5-10 minutes again. You know, there, so there, there was no, you know, I, I could throw good darts. Um, but I just wasn't consistent enough. Um, and I used to sort of, you know, the second of uh, someone said game on, I would just kind of buckle under the pressure a bit. And again, I, I suppose that's because because I didn't have a very good throw. I didn't have a very good grip. Or is that, you know, I wasn't technically very good. When I was under the pressure, that probably didn't help either. So if we move on from, from Hugh the player to Hugh the, um, the referee, um... You know how how did the officiating side of things start? You you you've mentioned it a little bit in, in in parts already, but take me back to that first refereeing experience, if if you don't mind, you. Um, the, the probably the first proper time I did it was when we had a so I was playing for Glamorgan Youth and we had a friendly match against Glamorgan Seniors, and this would have been in two thousand eight two thousand nine, I think. Yeah. Um, and I was there playing for Glamorgan Youth. Um, and but the, our regular caller for both the youth and the seniors um, didn't turn up uh, for, for, for whatever reason. So they were just sort of scratching around for a caller um, and they knew that I could do it. So they asked me if I if I go on stage and do it. So I did. Um, stayed on there for like quite a few matches. And when I came off, the, the, the senior squad came to me and said, that sounded really good. We've actually got a, a, a window available for another caller um, with our regular caller. Um, if you would, if you would like to come along to Glamorgan senior matches uh, to, to referee, so Glamorgan were in the Premier Division of the county championships, so 
you know, you had all the, the Yorkshires and the Lancashires of this world coming down to Glamorgan um, every year. So that just gave me like a really fantastic stage experience. And I always say to um, sort of buzzing callers today is that if you go to county, uh, you, you can learn so much on that stage. You can develop your voice. You can develop your style. You can make your mistakes. You can learn your lessons. You, you, you know, you, every match is different. There could be needle in the game. You might have to ask the crowd for order or, you, you know, there, there'll be dramatic games and, 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 and bad games and good games. All, all sorts of uh, variety of things. It's, it's an excellent learning ground, the, the, the county championship. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so that, that, that's how that started. Um, and then it must have been about two or three years later, I got the call to go and do the Wimble Walk Masters. So I went from sort of there, the county level, to there very quickly. There was no in-between at all. God. So, so so going back to that day where you called for Glamorgan, it, it, it might be an impossible question to answer, but if if that hadn't have happened, that caller hadn't have turned up on that day, do you think you'd be where you are today? Possibly not. Possibly, possibly not. I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I, I think, oh, I, I don't know, uh, whether an opportunity would have come up in the future. Mm. Um, if not that that day, um, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, and I mean, as I say, like even then, like even sort of going to county, like I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to make a living out yeah. of this. Like, you know, it's, it's just not possible to think that way. The, the chances are so minimal. Um so yeah, no, it just it just was what it was. I I took the county to be just like sort of like a nice weekend, and yeah. they always said that as a thank you, you get one free weekend at an away venue of your choice when Glamorgan are playing away. So that was great. So I I got to go to Yorkshire County. Um, I went to Essex, um, and I went somewhere else. I think I can't quite remember now. Um, it was really a funny story about Yorkshire. When I got to when I went to Yorkshire way was just after I did my first lakeside. And when I walked into the venue on the Saturday morning, and we've been up since about three or four in the morning to, to drive from Glamorgan to Yorkshire, and walked in there, and uh, one of the BDO officials who I know, um, called Sylvia Smart, said, uh, we've only got one caller today. Would you mind uh, going to give him a hand? So I went and met the caller, and it was Kirk Bevins. God. So, so that was a small world. So that was yeah. way back in like January 2012, I think. So. <laughs> So you, you were obviously um, quite useful with numbers then. Did you like maths in school or was it just the, the patterns involved in darts that kind of, you know, brought that interest really? Yeah, it, it was the patterns, I think. I mean, I, I wasn't very good at maths at all. And even my mental arithmetic wasn't as good as what it is now, now three darts, you know. Yeah. Um, I just sort of remember just sort of throwing and practising when I first got a dartboard. And over the first couple of months of practicing, the numbers just kind of set, and the, all the patterns just kind of set in my in my mind. Yeah. Um, and it helped my mental arithmetic in school like no end. Um, and I, I've 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 um, been on radio before now, just sort of advocating for dartboards in schools, um, mm. because it, like it helped me so much, and I think it would help uh, the kids so much with their mental arithmetic through a very fun medium of, of yeah. throwing, you know, your, your magnetic darts on your paper dartboards. It's, it's a fun way of learning and the kids are learning at the same time. So, um, yeah, no, I just remember like sort of all the patterns developing. And then I went a bit further and started imagining like all these kind of unorthodox ways of taking things. Okay. So once the pattern set, there we are, I, you know, I was away. And mm. um, so, uh, yeah, I can, I can count the dartboards well, I think. 
um, but I can't do 364 times 52 or yeah. something like this. And I, I, I even like, I, you know, sometimes um, even adding up uh, from 501 upwards would, would be a struggle for me, but I yeah. can do 501 down, uh, you know, it's just, it's just all to do with the dart. I don't, no, I, I completely agree with you here. I, I was similar. I, maths wasn't a subject I enjoyed, but once I got into darts, you know, putting the trebles, putting the doubles together, it's just something, like you say, something clicks, doesn't it? And it's, it seems like a very natural sort of way of, of just working everyday maths out, out then. And um, yeah, and, and, and funnily enough, I, I've got a, a five-year-old son. He has a dartboard. And I tell you what, he, his maths has just gone from there to there in a matter of, of months. You know, they're just patterns and things stick in your mind and boom, it just clicks, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, I do honestly think that it, it should be... Sort of, sort of taught in schools, and I, I don't know why um, it, it's not sort of part of national curriculums or something like this. I don't know whether it's health and safety or whether it's like uh, some sort of uh, uh, other reasons. But I honestly think, like, if we had dartboards in schools, that kids' uh, mental arithmetic would just improve so much, really, because it, it, it's it's such a useful way of of improving it. Um, yeah, because like, like as I say, like my mine wasn't um, very good at all before before the darts came along, and and you know if, if your son's already you know, yeah. only five and his maths is already improving a lot as well, so unbelievable, yeah, he'll yeah. be doing well in maths class. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you you mentioned Lakeside in in parts already. I, I just wanted to to take you back to that. Was it the twenty twelve video world championship where where you became the youngest referee? Youngest broadcast referee to, to referee a match on on TV. Just 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 tell me about that Lakeside experience because you'd obviously probably watched Lakeside in 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 years before you attended there. So, what was it like having that sort of crowd behind you and and, and the TV cameras focused on you? Um, I I remember I'd been to Lakeside before, but that was for a youth event uh, in like the July. So very very different. The, my first day refereeing at Lakeside was the first time I'd been to Lakeside World Championships ever. Yeah. It, was, it was completely new for me. And I remember second refereeing the very first match of the tournament. And I think I did the third match um, on stage. Which, that, that was my first on stage. Um, and the noise um, for the walk-ons of the very first match, I never realised how loud Lakeside was. I always thought when watching on television, it came across as quite quiet and almost quite subdued at times. It isn't. It's absolutely really loud because there's a very low ceiling, packed out audience of about 1,000, 1,200 people for that first day. And the noise that it compared with the low ceiling, they do blow the roof off. It really was loud. And I remember being sort of a bit sort of taken aback by that. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Bit nervous now. Um, and my first match was a total blur. It was a total blur. Um, I remember that there, there was a, a confusion um, with the scores, unfortunately, at the end of the second set, which is quite a crucial moment of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, my fault. I'll, I'll, I'll um, throw my hands up and take my take the responsibility for that. And I remember being really gutted about that um, afterwards, because it was my first match on BBC television. You know, I, I'm only just turned 18 at the time. And unfortunately, there was a mistake. So that that was quite quite tough for me, to be honest. But then, you know, what what can you do? You know, the, the only thing you can do is keep going. And I refereed the rest of the week, um, and 
the rest of the week was absolutely fine. The referee the great semi-final between Wesley Helms and Tony O'Shea, I remember. Um, and you just sort of go on from there. And, um, you, you know, it, it's about if you make a mistake on stage, then you have to, you know, you can you can kick the cat afterwards if you want to, but um, or, or please don't do that because you'll get the RSPCA on top of you then as well. So you don't want that on top of a mistake. Um, but, uh, you know, all, all you can do is sort of put it to the back of your mind and, and, and just sort of keep keep going. Yeah. Um, because because if, if you if you allow the mistake to um, affect your mental concentration for the rest of the game, you're going to make another mistake. Exactly, yeah. you know? So you just have to put it, it's gone now, move on, because there's another three darts coming. Yeah. So would, would you say, you know, obviously you were very nervous on, on that day. Do you, st- do you still get that same feeling? You know, in a Premier League match, in a in an Ali Pali match today. Yeah, you you you, you do get a, a yeah, you do get a certain buzz, uh, if you like, in the pit of your stomach. Um, I'm very sort of like experienced at that now, um, okay. but that that feeling that that feeling doesn't go away. No, hmm. no. And I suppose you you probably would want that, would you, Hugh? You know, as the players are nervous, the markers are probably nervous. You, you probably need that little bit of adrenaline or, or buzz just to get you. Up, up for the job, really. Yeah, and to just sort of make sure that you're concentrating at all times. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wouldn't want to, to sort of get to the stage where I'm like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> like you know, oh, I, you know, th- th- this is boring me, or I, I you know, uh, I, I'm not interested, or or something like this. Yeah. Um, if I did, then it'd probably, you know, probably best to, you know, I, I just don't want to get to that stage at all. Um. Yeah. So, so after that, yeah, first, no, I, sorry, after that fir- first lake side, then would you did you start to think, okay, this this could be my career, this could be my job for the next 20, 30 years? Um, no, to be honest, um, I mean, I know I was still so what was I, what was I at 18? I was still, I was just coming to the end of my A levels at the time when I did, um, uh, my first lakeside and then I was in university studying English language okay. um, and the idea was I want I wanted to become a, a sports journalist with was, was was what I had in mind at that time I wanted to become a sports journalist so as time went on and I and I, um, I left university and uh, went to work for BBC Sport Wales for a time oh yeah um, like uh, Sean so so Sean mm-hmm. Price now she works in exactly the same department as, as, as I used to work in okay um, so uh, yeah, so I, that that was my plan for a while. So uh, for a while, like I sort of had two livings really, because I by the time I joined BBC Sport Wales, I'd also joined the PDC. So I had both going on uh, really, with more emphasis on BBC Sport Wales at that time. Um, but now in 2022, um, it, you know, my emphasis is going to be on darts more now uh, as, as my work is is increasing. And obviously, you know, like you say, your sort of training ground was was the BDO. You know when. When that time came for you to make that switch from from the BDO to the PDC, you know, was was it a dilemma, or you know, as we've seen now, the, the way the BDO was run to the ground in the end, was it was it a an easy an easy decision for you to take you? No, 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 it wasn't. No, because the team of BDO vets that that you know, um, you know, we, we were a very strong team. Mm. Um, and they were absolutely my friends, my colleagues, my my teammates. Um, and it's been really hard, sort of watching them 
yeah. you know, with everything that's happened with the BDO uh, over the last couple of years um, has been tough. But what's great is that they're coming back in April with the, yeah. with the WDF. Um, so that's going to be fantastic. Um, I'm hoping to go and I'm going to go and support them and, and, and all that. So, yeah, um, yeah so that, that's going to be really good. But we, 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 you know, we all still keep in touch. We had a Zoom call um, quite a few months ago now, but, um, uh, you know, we had a, a team rep sort of catch up uh, thing with all five of us there, Nick, Marco, um, Anthony, Charlie and, and Richard and, and myself. Um, and I actually saw Marco Mayer. I went to spot the um, World Series of Darts finals in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. At the back end of last year. And I saw Marco for the first time in, in ages and ages. So I was sort of in person. Um, he came along. So it was great to see him. Brilliant. Um, had a, a couple of chats with Nick Rolls recently. Um, so, yeah, no, so we, we, we all still keep in touch. But it was very hard at that time. Hmm. And, it's, and it's quite symbolic that it's going back to the lakeside, I think, isn't it? You know, it went to the Indigo for, for a year. You know, with all the wranglings in the background, obviously, it wasn't great, but you know, as a, as a as a TV production, I thought it looked quite good in, in in the Indigo. But I think the WDF going back to the to the home of of World Darts, I think, is 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 something really, really, you know, it really chimes chimes a chord with me. I think, yeah, it's it's going back to where it should be, really. Yeah, exactly. Like it makes like chimes a chord exactly as you say, doesn't mm. it? So, sometimes it, it it's it, it's like it's like a Wembley Stadium, isn't it? Or is it mm. you know? Or, or Winter Gardens, even also, you know, like an, an iconic venue. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes it's that that's worth more than if you went went to a, a newer place, which may be bigger, more high tech, and all that. So I remember we we went to do an exhibition. We had a, a an annual exhibition in every January, and I think the first one was in 2014, I think, um, and that was held in that room in the Indigo too, and mm. we came away from that first night. Just sort of saying amongst ourselves, just like if the um the lakeside ever moved away from lakeside, this would actually be an ideal venue. So it was always kind of like in the background as a potential if, you know, if it was to go. Um, but and again, yeah, and as you say, I think it did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, it looked great on television, but the lakeside is the lakeside, of course. Um, yeah. and you've got you you've got a crowd right there because that, that crowd used to just they used to go every year. You know, you, you, you saw a lot of uh, similar faces and new faces, but you, you saw a lot of similar faces that, that, that would, you, you know, that they would go every year. And that was their thing in, in the first week of, of the new year. Mm. Um, so that, that there's a loyal crowd there that will still be there um, come April. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I think it's great. I can't wait to go. It's, it's going to yeah, be bad. Exactly. You know, you mentioned some of your, your refereeing colleagues there now. You know, when, when when you were breaking on onto the scene, you know, did you have any sort of role models? You know, obviously, people like Bruce Spendley, Martin Fitzmaurice, Russ. Uh, you know, did you look up to these guys, thinking, you know, I'd, I'd I'd like to reach those sort of levels one day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I did used to watch all of those guys. Um, I think I think Bruce Spendley. Um, he. Was a, was a particularly big in, in inspiration for me. He had such an amazing voice, yeah. didn't he? You know, his 180 calls and, and the way his voice would, would reflect the drama of what's just happened on the dartboard. You know, he used to do that so well. Um, I, I, I thought he had a, a, an amazing voice um, and a, he a heck of a career as well, you know, going back um, 
from the late 70s and early 80s, uh, right through to 2013 when he retired after the, the Taylor Van Gerwen final. Mm. Um, uh, just an extraordinary career. Saw everything pretty yeah. much uh, when, when it comes to TV Darts, TV World Championship. Um, I got to meet him a couple of times, uh, only in small moments, um, but he came across just in those small moments, just what a lovely, gentle human being he was. Yeah. Um, even in those two very small moments where I was able to just say a quick hello and, and, and we were able to shake hands. Um, very sad news last year of his passing, obviously. Mm. Um, it was very sad to hear. But yeah, he was a big inspiration for me, for sure. And, you know, the, obviously Bruce himself and then Martin, Russ, Georgie Noble, they, they all have sort of unique ways of, of calling, don't they? Did you, did you feel a, a certain pressure to, to call in a, in a certain way or to have a unique way of calling 180, 140, whatever? You know, did you feel that sort of pressure coming into the games? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I was quite sort of... It, what, well, what's funny is that if you watch my very first Lakeside and watch me at the last World Championships, for example, it's very different. I, there's, a, there's a big difference there. Um, and my style has definitely evolved um, over the years, I think. Mm. Um, I think my 180 has always kept pretty consistent, um, but a lot of other calls uh, I, I have changed. And yeah, no, a style is something that is very much at the forefront of my mind. Okay. Um, and I think it's, it's similar with a lot of other referees as well. I mean, Bruce Benley, actually, if, if you go and watch his his very first TV tournament, TV World Championships, his 180 was actually quite fast. Mm -hmm. But then you watch yeah. him at the end of his career and his 180 was one of the longest. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know how I don't know how conscious or subconscious um, the involvement in a referee style is. I mean, yeah. I think some of mine has, has kind of been a bit of both. Around. I think there have been there have been a couple of times where I have thought I, I think I could I could do with improving <laughs> that. But then I think there are others where I thought, oh, I'm not sure how my 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 tone of voice just seems to have changed here. Um, okay. or, or something has something has happened which I didn't sort of realize myself. Hmm. So uh, it, it's not uncommon for, for referees to um, to evolve their style. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't feel pressure in terms of my style these days. I, I'm, I'm pretty much settled with it, but I'm always looking to improve. You know, yeah. um, and, and I, I, I don't mind admitting that there are there are times where I do go back and watch not full matches necessarily, but maybe certain parts of a match just as uh, listen to how I'm coming across. And um, and and just to think, oh, I could do with, I could have done better there, or that this could sound a bit better. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I do go back and watch myself sometimes, just to sort of evaluate how I'm sounding, how I'm how I'm doing. Do you, do you have a, a favourite number to call him? Oh, oh no, I don't think it's got to be one eighty. Yeah, I think it's got to be one. Actually, no, cancel that. The double for a nine data. <laughs> that's the one that's the one I love to call um, oh, no. the double for the nine data yeah for sure for sure it was that... really funny about the, the, the very first nine data I called was Alan Norris at the, on stage two of Minehead and um, but the funny thing was I hadn't been more than six perfect darts into a nine data before that ever I'd gone 180 180 yeah. or 180 177 whatever but I never had the seventh dart land let alone the eighth or ninth that was yeah. really good. God. Um, yeah, oh, I remember that. That, that. that was a question I was going to ask later, actually. You know, when when you, um, you know, when that nine data goes in or say a, a 170 checkout, 
you've got, you know, in the Premier League, you could have 12,000 fans going absolutely ballistic in that room. But then you and your two markers are completely deadpan, sort of no emotion. You know, what, what, how, how, how do you keep that sort of calmness in, in a room which is going absolutely ballistic? Um, I, I just think because you have to, because you're professional and, and that's part of the job. Um, you, you know, I mean, you may be bursting inside. Yeah, I remember yeah. the, the first, so my first nine data with Alan Norris, place is going ballistic. And I, I do just sort of remember thinking to myself, right, sell it, sell it, <laughs> do your job, blah, blah, blah. You know, you had the rest of the game to go. I think he hit the nine data sort of quite early on in the game. Okay. Uh, so we had the whole rest of the game to go. And I think I had another game to do straight after. So once they were both done, that was when I thought to myself, I got, I got back to the apartment and it's like, oh my God, I've had a nine data. And, you know, that, that was the moment. Um, yeah. But no, you, you just kind of, you, you, you do, in, in that moment, you do your job. Yeah. And, 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 and that's it. So yeah, no, it's just, it's just about just staying calm and just staying professional in those moments. Oh, brilliant. And... I, I just want to move on to the practical side of, of, of refereeing, if that's okay. So, sort of preparation for matches, you know, we often hear about players arriving at the venue two, three hours before, obviously going to the practice room. But what, what were those last couple of hours? Say if you were calling a game at seven o'clock, when does your routine sort of kick in here? When do you have a, a regular sort of routine you follow? Um, it, it, it's quite relaxed. Um... To be honest, Dylan, it's uh, what what tends to happen is we might get there maybe two two and a half hours even um, before the tournament starts on the very first day, just so you know we, we've got our bearings or we might have a meeting a pre tournament you know a pre tournament meeting and just to sort of get our bearings on the very first day. But once the second day onwards starts, um, you know sometimes we get about an hour an hour before an hour and a half um, because there's just sort of Sort of not much to do really for us um, uh, if there isn't anything. So if I'm if I'm calling the first game at um, if the first walk on is at about ten past seven, I might get there for six o'clock. Okay. Calls for six. Um, so yeah, no, it's very relaxed to be honest. Um, and the the only sort of preparation might be preparation that you've done yourself. In that, you know, if, if you know you've got a quick game that night, you yeah. think to yourself. Oh, I've got a quick game tonight. So I've got to be got to be honest. Or or uh, either that, or like if, if you've got two players who like to sort of spray them about the board a bit, mm. you might have one or two things in your mind about which ways they'd like to go. Because mm. I know Dirk van Dijvenboder, he likes on sixty nine. He'll go treble eleven for double eighteen. Okay. So that's something that I always have in mind when I referee for Dirk van Dijvenboder. Watch him next time. He'll go for treble fifteen or something. Like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So and and I I know that because he's nearly caught me out with that before. So I thought to myself after that, ah, right, it's okay. You like travel, so I know yeah, that yeah. in advance. Um, for example, but that that's pretty much it, really, in terms of the preparation. So in 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 terms of routers and timetables, so you know, Sky would announce at the end of their show tomorrow's night's matches are Gerwin and MVG first, blah 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 second. When, when would you as referees then find out, okay, when am I on and who, who makes that decision? Um, it, well, we, we tend to um, have a rota given to us before the tournament starts. I see, okay. Um, so you, you may not necessarily know, you, you know, you'll know you're doing um, game the two. second match. Yeah. Yeah, you know you're doing game two on day five. 
but obviously you don't know which what game two is going to be. Um, so, yeah. You know, it, it it just kind of falls like that. And sometimes it's left it's left up to us. Sometimes um, if it's a, if it's a small three day event on television, they might mm. just leave it up to us and the and the, and the referees who are there will get into a huddle and say, right, who wants to go first? You know, who who you know who then we want to do the final, who doesn't want to do the final. Um, yeah. And it just kind of, we'll work it out between ourselves and we'll stick to that pattern uh, every day. Um, so it, it's, it's a mixture of both. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's not a case of, right, it's Desi versus MVG, so therefore you do that. It, yeah. It's not like that. And what are they like as a gang to work with? You know, all the markers, referees, you all get on well, you all mix outside of work sort of thing? Yeah, yes, we yeah we do. Um, we, we well, it was really um, interesting being at the World Championships um, the last time because because of COVID regulations, we were put into sort of two teams. Okay. Um, so so that was really interesting. Was sort of working particularly closely with a certain group of people. So it was me and Russ. Um, and yeah, we know we had a really nice time together. Um, in the time I was there, just uh, just up until Christmas. So that was really nice. Um, but yeah, no, no, we no, we do all get on. We we get on. It's, it's a nice group to work with. I mean, really good group to work with as well. I mean, in terms of like sort of um, the, the two markers that I'll have on stage with me, it doesn't sort of matter who it is. Like I trust them implicitly with the scores and all that. I mean, I am checking as well, um, uh, of course, but uh, at the same time, like I trust them all absolutely implicitly. They're so, so good at what they do. Yeah. Um, and obviously the three other referees as well, they they go without saying, don't they? Russ, George, Kirk, all amazing referees amazing um careers great to be around nice to work with um yeah yeah no, no complaints nice. i don't know what they say about me <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what they say about me but um That's another yeah, matter yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> in in terms of venues you know do you have one specific venue that you really enjoy calling at or one sort of tournament or a format which one would you feel you, well, you really enjoy? I'm, I'm looking forward to refereeing Cardiff Premier League um, in literally a couple of Thursdays' time. Exactly, yeah. Um, that's going to be really good. So, so for obvious reasons, I like motor points. Yeah, because mm. I went there as a fan as well for years. I remember going to the very first one in the motor point back in 2007. Um, uh, and I think also the World Match Play, um, because I also used to go to that as a kid for, for, for a while. Mm. Um, so if I if I had to narrow it down to two, I would probably say those just because I used to go to them regularly as a kid. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And then that brings us nicely on to sort of the best match you've ever refereed. Would would you have one that you could put your finger on? You know, maybe in terms of you know, sort of something big. Standard or, or something. Match, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it's so difficult to, to make it as one. And in fact, I, I was having this conversation with Russ actually um, at the World Championships. It's so difficult to narrow it down to one because sort of what constitutes a great match? Yeah. Is it a great world final? Is it just a fantastic standard? Is it a match which may not have the best standard, but it's got a heck of a lot of drama in it? Yeah. Um, you know, how, how do you quantify? Um, what what makes a great match? Um, I, I remember one. I, I remember one match. I I always mention this one. And it was it, so. I mean, this, this is a good example, really. James Wade versus Darren Webster, European Tour in Hildesheim, third round, back in two thousand and nineteen, I think. 
Okay. Um, but the reason why I, I remember that one so much was because I think I think Darren won the match six five with one hundred and ten average. James had one hundred nine average and hit a nine darter in the game. And I, I, th I think those were the averages. I mean, I might, I might be wrong, but whichever it was, they were both tremendous averages. There was a nine darter from James and Darren won the match 6-5. It was an incredible game. Yeah. So for some reason, that one sticks in my head. But then, of course, I, I mean, I, I've also refereed two world finals. Mm -hmm. So where do I, uh, you know, where do I put those alongside, you know, I suppose, I suppose sort of personally, those are the two biggest matches that I've ever called um, yeah. in, in my life. Um, but then there's another match which had a great standard, so it, it's really difficult to say. It's sort mm -hmm. of I could, I could pick different ones out for different reasons. Um, but yeah, the one, one I, I remember thinking, like, walking down, saying, like, Wow, that was a great game, James and Darren. Yeah, you, you mentioned the Euro Tour there. There's something so special about a Euro Tour weekend, isn't there? And do you, do you feel that same sort of feeling as, a, as an official involved? I do. I mean, they're, they're very intense. To be, I, personally, I find them quite intense to work at because you're doing a lot. Yeah. And there's only two referees. Um, so you're doing two on, two off, uh, twice a session, two sessions a day for three days. Yeah. Um, so it's actually, it's actually quite a, a, a lot, really. And you'll have a two-hour break in between where mm -hmm. you'll quickly grab something to eat. Um, and then you might be sort of waiting around a bit. Um, and then you start again. Um, so yeah, no, it's quite intense, and and I tend I I don't tend to stay up at all uh, in the bar afterwards um, yeah. during those three days simply because you're up again so early the the, the next day, yeah. you know. So there's the, so I I don't tend to sort of relax at those events unless it's it's after the last day and the flight home is maybe a bit later because sometimes you you might be flying home the shuttle will be coming through at like three four o'clock in the morning so even you. after the tournament's finished you may not get a lot of a lot of downtime. Yeah. So, yeah, but they're great. They're, they're absolutely great. They're a lot of work, but they're fabulous. Um, really, really nice. And we, we're very lucky we get to go to some nice places. Yeah. Um, went to Budapest last year. That was very interesting. Um, and I did have a bit of time to sort of look around um, there. So that was very nice. Um, and they're, they're, they're just fantastic for the European crowds. Mm. And they're also great for a lot of the players to get a lot of stage experience. Um, yeah. stage experience that could prove vital if they're making their debuts at the World Match Plays and the World Grand Prix, mm. um, you know, further down the line. I'd, uh, I'd never really thought of it, you know, like a, like a mentally draining experience. Now now that you say it, you know, you're, you're refereeing so many games, maybe consecutive games as well. You know, when you arrive back in, in Wales on that Monday, say after a Euro Tour, what's, what's the first thing you do in terms of downtime or, you know, what would you look forward to doing then on that flight home? Um, I, I pro I'd probably just get home and just have a bit of downtime. Yeah. Because um, it sort of dep yeah. depends what time you get home as well, I suppose. I mean, sometimes you could be back in back in Wales by about lunchtime, hmm. you know, possibly. Um, so you, you, you would have the rest of the day to yourself. But, you yeah, know, I, I, I tend to not do anything on a Monday after European tour. Um, and then I'll be back to whatever it is I'm doing on, on the Tuesday. Um, so yeah, no, it, it yeah, no, it is quite intense, but it's fine. You know, it, it it's just fine. Um, and again, PDC, you have really nice people to work with. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm very lucky. Brilliant. Uh, I wanted to move on to talk a bit about about the um, Rainbow Laces campaign. So, uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, you are the PDC's LGBT plus ambassador. Can you just yes. tell me a bit about 
you know how how the campaign sort of um, got up and running, and what what is your involvement in in sort of raising awareness of the campaign? Um, so it was a, a few years ago. Um, we decided um, I had a chat with Matt Horton, the chief executive of the PDC, um, and we decided to ally with the Rainbow Laces campaign. Um, and the Rainbow Laces campaign is basically um, uh, it, it, it's a campaign that. I, I hate using this phrase, but raising awareness makes it sound like it's a charity. But it, it's 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 the the only phrase I can think of in this moment. Um, it's raising awareness for for LGBT plus in sport. Um, yeah. The idea being that it that should you choose to come out, um, and that's very important to emphasise. That obviously, it's it's completely people's choice whether they want to come out in sport or not. But it's just to say that if you choose, then. The environment that you're in will support you. It's about getting the environment as ready as possible mm. for somebody to come out and to make sure that you know have they got everything sort of in place in terms of their culture, in terms of um, all, all the various aspects to, to make sure that um, if somebody does come out, you know they're going to be accepted. They, they're not going to face any sort of prejudice or, or, or homophobia or things like this. So that that's what the campaign is. It, is basically about um, and it's been going on it's been going on for quite a few years now in football and it's diversified into rugby and yeah. cricket and sky sports push it heavily and um, loads of different sports involved so we, we just decided that it would be a good idea for that to get involved as well and so we do that we're very fortunate because we have the players championship finals in Minehead, um which coincides with the two-week rainbow laces period and so we, we offer rainbow laces uh, to all the players and officials, uh, as well as badges. Uh, we change the PDC logo, which is below the dartboard on the main stage, uh, to rainbow colours. Um, and, that, and that's pretty much it, to be honest. But I mean, the PDC do a lot more work on that than, than what I do, honestly. Okay. You know, Dave Allen and Matt Porter, uh, you know, they do so much more work than me to, to make sure that that's all coordinated and that's all sort of done, liaising with Stonewall. Um, I'm a Stonewall sport champion. Um, I, I, I have this LGBT um, ambassador role with the PDC as well. Um, but I mean, it, it's, it's hats off to the PDC as far yeah. as I'm concerned. They, they've just done the most amazing job um, with making sure that, uh, you know, the Minehead is, is all ready to go with the Rainbow Laces. And I think we've got a good balance there, you know, for one tournament a year just to have that sort of message. That's in the background really a lot of the time. Um, yeah. I, I think it's really it's it, it's really good, and you know uh, the support of the PDC personally means a lot. But it's not really sort of about me at all because I've been out for years now. It, it's about yeah. trying to make the sport, you know, better and better and better all the time, so that when the next person comes out, they will be absolutely fine, and they know that they're going to be fine. That, that they can come out should they choose. Yeah, and you know, for four years down the line here, would you say? Is there anything the PDC could improve or they could teach any other sports? Because I think it, it's still very much a taboo subject in, in a number of sports, isn't it? Whereas darts has really sort of embraced it. So, you know, do you feel the PDC could, could be seen as sort of sector, sector leaders then in, in sport in terms of helping other sports? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I don't see why not. I mean... I think visibility is is always the key. Um, I mean, I I didn't I didn't come out to, to just to be visible. If I'm honest, I came out for my own personal reasons. Mm. 
but, but an offset of doing that is that you do become visible. So yeah. visibility is the key. So I think the more people that do come out, the better things will be in sport. Um, uh, sort of full stop. And again, that's not to be confused with people should come out. No, no. Obviously, again, it is completely people's choice. But just to say that I think the more people that do, visibility is enhanced and, and things will just naturally get better from there. So I yeah. think Josh Cavallo in football has, has just come out. And I think his visibility now will hopefully, you know, in, encourage more people because, you, you know, to, they will think to themselves, well, if he can do it and he's okay, yeah. then so can I. Um, and uh, again, so I, I know I'm repeating myself, I know it's everybody's free choice and it, it's completely up, up to them whether they come out or not. But I would always encourage a, a person to come out because I don't know anybody ultimately who has come out who has regretted it. Exactly. Not ultimately, you know, not, not, not when all is said and done. Um, yeah. it, it, certainly helped, it certainly helped me. Um, I feel so much more comfortable going to darts now than what, than what I did before I came out. I mean, this was years ago now, still back when I was in the PDO. Um, and when I came out, I had no problems whatsoever um, at that time. Um, and I mean, yeah, no, it, 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 just, it just is what it is, to be honest. Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy and I, I hope, you know, in, in the future, because I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the first openly gay person in darts and I certainly won't be the last. No, exactly. As long as things are okay for the next person, that's what, that's what it's about. Yeah. No, no, I, personally, I, I just like to say that you and the PDC are doing, you know, great work. Obviously, it's, it's sort of, um, um, it's more visual, obviously, in terms of the other players' championship, but, you know, an inclusive darting environment is a, is a better environment and long, long may that continue, really. I, I mean, I, I can't thank Matt Porter enough for all of his support uh, and, and for Dave Allen and everyone at the PDC. Um, you know, the support that they've given me has been really invaluable. There was, there, was a, there was a certain time a few years ago where I felt like I needed it at, at that mm. time. Oh, brilliant. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the way that they, they, they didn't just sort of say yes to me, they, they sort of, they, they said it and then did it. As did well, it, yeah. you know that they did as well as said. So, really back, back it up, yeah. that, that, you know, I, I, I can't put into words my, my thanks to Matt. Oh, brilliant. You know, I, I wanted to turn now towards um, the World Championships just gone. Um, you know, we saw some sort of ugly scenes and sort of, you know, abusive chanting didn't we during during the tournament, especially towards Gerwin Price. Um, I just wanted to get your sort of opinion on. Where do you stand on this sort of behaviour and what sort of protocols and guidance are given to you guys as, as on, on stage officials as to how we deal with this and who, who, who should be sorting this, really? It, it, it's so difficult as a referee hmm. because how do you tell 2,000 people to stop doing what they're doing yeah. when you're one person? It's to all intents and purposes, it's probably not going to happen. And when you've got to, I mean, at least when you have 2,000 people, and I'm not condoning it in any way, and I'm not trying to apologize for it, so I'm just saying that if, if there's 2,000 people all booing you, then that's just a wall of noise. If you had one person 
all of a sudden shout miss or whistle or whatever, that can actually be more off-putting than if you had 2,000 people creating just a wall of noise. Blanket noise, so, yeah. As, as a referee, um, I tend to jump in more when there's one person who is really sort of being malicious, like they know what they're doing, they they know that they're trying to put this guy off. Yeah. Um, so I will step in on those occasions, but it's very difficult to do that when there's 2,000, when you know that your efforts are most likely to fall on deaf ears, yeah. um, at least with the one person or the two people or that table over there or something, you can actually do something about that. You can talk to them. You, you could have them thrown out or rejected if you speak to security. Um, so that that's the way I tend to do it as a referee, to be honest. I, I think it, it, it's probably the, the best thing. I mean, how, how we solve it, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's, you know, it's my uh, honest answer. It's, I, I, I've got some sort of, you know, personal experience. I, I worked in the Millennium Stadium for 15 years and, you know, you can have so many messages come from, you know, hierarchy and, and management, but then, you know, if a fight broke out in my area of the stand, a lot of it comes down to that individual steward or, or a team of stewards, you know, who have to think, okay, this has gone too far. And some people have to take responsibility sometimes. And I think, to be fair to you guys, you and your, your team here, you're there to officiate really what happens on stage. You know, I think the security and the, the stewarding teams in these venues should be really more you know, stamping this sort of behavior out because, you know, in 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 the worlds it was, I I felt that you know there's a line, isn't there, between banter and bullying, and I think the line was completely crossed in 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 Alexandra Palace. Uh, well, I mean, it, if if there was a fight at Alexandra Palace, the security would definitely be in there. Um, yeah, security would absolutely be throwing people out if there was a physical fight going on. Um, in terms of the in terms of the booing, I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, it, in terms of in well, in terms of Gessie, I mean, it, it, I I think it's gone to the stage now where it's it, it's almost like, like pantomime. Mm. It, it's almost like oh, it's it's Gary Price, so therefore we boo him. They don't yeah. know why. They it, it's just what they do. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it, it's I mean, if you put it like that. Does that then sound so bad? I, I don't know. I mean, it's not really sort of for me to say, um, and I certainly do want to speak on behalf of Gezi with, with all this. No, so, no. I, mean, I, I take my I take my hat off to him, really, the, the way he stands there and throws such good darts. Yeah. Um, and do all that pressure. Like I, I I take my hat off to him totally. Um. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? And I mean, you see it. I mean, in football matches, if someone mm. takes a penalty in the in the away uh, stadium. They're away from home and they, they got a penalty. There could be 40,000, 50,000, 70,000 people all booing him, yeah. trying to put him off and whistling and booing and, and, and all this and shouting things or whatever. So, I mean, I suppose you could say, you know, I mean, that there's, there's you know, I mean, I, I know that's football and this is darts, but I mean, yeah. it, it's, you know, you, you do see it going on in other sports. Um, I think Gessie actually is a shining example of how you can block it out. Because the vast majority of the time, he does block it out. He does hit his his doubles and his one eighties, and and he wins dance matches. Yeah, so I think yeah. he's a, he's a, he's actually a shining example of how you can 
come through it. Right, yeah. um, to be honest, uh, and through all that pressure. So yeah, but that, that's that, that's what I think about it. That's how I try and deal with it as a referee. Anyway, is that it's so much easier and so much more um, possible yeah. to be able to talk talk and deal with individuals than what it is with two thousand. No, that that makes complete sense here, and I appreciate you giving your giving your um, opinion on that. Um, as as we're talking about Gezi, I just wanted to to move on to speak a little bit about Welsh starts in 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 general. Obviously, you know, as a as a referee, you have to remain impartial at at, at all times. But given where a where a Welsh starts uh, blog and on uh, podcast, you know, has has the game ever been in a better place in in Wales? Would you say? I mean, yeah, it, it's going through a really, really strong period at the moment, um, isn't it? Probably as strong as what I can remember um, in, in my time sort of following Dart and liking, liking Dart. I mean, we go back to the 70s and, uh, you know, Wales was seen as a massive hotbed, particularly in the valleys, was seen as a massive hotbed of Dart back in the 70s when television Dart and when Dart's, Dart's full stop came along. Um, to be honest, it's sort of a, a place that sort of, you know, it, when Darts made its way into the national consciousness, the Valleys yeah. in Wales were seen as a as a big place. And since then, that we've produced world champions and um, and and had many a good player. But in terms of the depth of Welsh talent at the moment, that that we're seeing, um, that and that we're seeing so visibly, I'm not sure it's it's been as strong as this for for a long time. Yeah, you know, you know, you're right, and it's it's great to see. Yeah. And do you, do you get any chance to you know mix mix with the boys when you're say on an Euro Tour weekend or at a tournament? Do you get a chance to to meet and have a chat with them? I thought you were going to say you're one of those players then. The <laughs> 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 talent, but no. Um, oh my God. Um, yeah, yeah, no, oh, yeah, no. I do, I do speak to a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get on well with all the Welsh boys, Jesse and Johnny and and uh, uh, young Louis Williams. Yeah. Um, uh, and and all all the Welsh players that are around at the moment, uh, Richard uh, Richard Burnett, of course, just got yeah his, yeah uh, yeah, just got his tour card back as well. So that's another Welsh Welshman uh, back on the tour. So yeah, yeah, no, I do get on with all of them really. You know, go, going back to the, what you said at the start, you know, the reasons for falling in love with darts. You know, you've just said it then. Now Richie Burnett, you know, I I I've got those memories the same as you sat on the. Um, living room floor, watching him win his, his world title in 95. You know, that's, that is, is, is the reason I, I fell in love with darts and I've followed, followed his journey, you know, ever, ever since. And to see him back on the tour now, you know, producing still, you know, decent averages, brilliant darts. And I think he'll just add to the tour, which is, which is brilliant in terms of entertainment for us guys anyway. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there's just something so addictive about darts. Mm. Once you get it, you, you you're sucked in. Like you know, yeah. you, you can't escape it. Then, like once once you've you've watched the game of darts and and and, and it, it's such it's such easy viewing as well. Mm. It, it's so easy to be able to to sort of sit on the sofa and just watch a game of darts. It is. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not it's not particularly taxing. It's not something that needs a huge amount of concentration. It's just so easy to watch. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I I think we're exactly the same, aren't we? Like mm. it's uh, and it's keeping and again, those, that, so. Sorry, here it's keeping those people. You know, the ones that watch the worlds around the Christmas time, where obviously people take a fortnight off work or whatever. 
you know, to tell them, you know, darts is a game that's played 12 months of the year. Come, come and watch players' championships. Come and watch the Euro Tour. Mm-hmm. So much people are, are missing out on, I feel. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, well, and also as well, yeah, I mean, so for the fans, it's, it's, it's a big night out as well, isn't mm. it? Um, as much as anything, you, you can have a really good night out with a great atmosphere and um, and it got, you've got great darts thrown in as well. You know, you, what, what you're watching is also very easy to watch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it, it, it's fantastic the way, well, the state of darts and the state of Welsh darts yeah. is both very healthy right now. So it's, <laughs> it's win-win. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and and just my fi- my final question, Hugh, uh, and I think you you did touch it touch on it at the start, but um, you know, for any sort of young budding referees or anybody uh, getting into the officiating sort of game, you know, what would be that one piece of advice you'd you'd give them as to put them on their on their journey? Um, yeah, I, I would say get in touch with your local county because it's a really good learning ground, as I said earlier. Um, there's uh, other things as well now. Uh, there's um, volunteer marketing schemes on the PDC. Um, it's very busy uh, for the pro tour, um, but maybe if you went to the challenge tour or even the development tour, you know, and marked for the, for, the, for those guys on there, um, and just sort of get get which just sort of gets your name out there. Um, and yeah, g- give it a go and don't give up. You know, it's uh, if that's what you want to do, then by all means go for it. Um, and just try and put yourself out there as much as you can, as best you can. That's, that's a great piece of advice, too. Um, yeah, and and I just wanted to finish, really, by saying, you know, uh, a good referee is never seen but only heard. And I think you're you're doing a fantastic job, you know, as as a, as a, one of the top referees in the PDC, uh, obviously with your LGBT plus work, but also representing us as Wales, you know, on the on the main stage. So you know, long, long may it continue and we look forward to seeing where, where the Hugh story, uh, Hugh Ware story takes us in the future, but, you know, wish you all the best and really grateful for you giving up your time for the, for the podcast and the vlog. Cheers, Hugh. Oh, thank you, Dylan. No, thank you very much. No, I really enjoyed that and uh, I, I really appreciate that. So hopefully come back on in a future episode, but, uh, Brilliant. but no, you're, you're doing great things with this podcast. Honestly, it's really, really good. Oh, um, great. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hugh.